This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 36 of season two. And it's been a very long time since I've done any listener stories, and these aren't really listener stories. What I have today are more just letters, and I wanted to share them with y'all. They prompt me to talk about things, and that's a good thing, as I need to get out of my own head, y'all. So here we go. Well, my first one I want to talk about today is from Across the Ocean, and she says that if I'm to read this on the air, I am to invent a name, and therefore, I'm going to call her Miranda. I like that name, so. And it starts, Hey, Seba, I'm a European baby witch, and your podcast has been a real source of comfort for me. You offer not just magical advice, but also a lot of wisdom. I've never met my grandma on my mom's side and can never connect with a grandma from my dad's side due to distance and a language barrier. I sort of feel like you were the grandmama I could never have. I haven't caught up completely, but I'm enjoying just randomly picking and choosing episodes from the list. It feels like this way, I always seem to choose an episode containing exactly what I need to hear in that moment. Oh, honey, I am so sorry about season one. I keep meaning to bring it down and remix it and make it sound a little bit better, but in a lot of ways, that would be inauthentic. That was where it was, and it's a little bit better now, although still not perfect. Anyhow, let's go on, and she says, One of the things that I'm struggling with in my journey is feeling magical. I understand it's a sporadic feeling you're unable to hold on to but I keep being haunted by a sort of imposter syndrome and keep thinking that I might not be magic or if I don't have enough magical energy to make a good witch. I've always given up on hobbies that I didn't feel like I was immediately talented at, but the craft and the routine of it has been so satisfying that I do not want to give it up. It's strange, but the only time I feel magical is when I'm skating around Somehow it charges me with a static energy, and I always shock myself when touching metal afterwards. It also makes me feel really good and strong and grounds me in the moment and my environment. I always make sure to greet all the flowers and trees I pass when I'm taking my regular route. But whenever this happens, I keep thinking that I'm somehow lying to myself. How can I overcome this feeling of being a magical imposter so I can focus on the craft and loving and caring for my environment? All right, Miss Miranda, this one, believe it or not, applies to almost every human being I know. And if it doesn't, they have an ego the size of Texas. There are quite a few ways I could go about talking about this, but I think I want to start with the fact that when we were children, we didn't have so much trouble. (laughs) Not in believing in magic at all. But I hear you. I think you're saying that you do believe in it. You just don't believe you've been dosed with it sometimes. And that, my dear friend, would be quite impossible. You see, how could you ever feel the magic of trees and flowers and 
all the other wonders of the world, if you didn't already have it within you, you would consider that feeling to be alien altogether. And it's not. You recognize it in your body when you feel it. However, imposter syndrome is real. Again, those of us who maybe have a few self-esteem issues or have been through a little bit in their lives, it's a little bit harder for us. You know, I had the same issue going on when I got my doctoral degree. I had studied for a very long time, but everyone that was around me studying, well, yep, come to think of it, everyone, except for maybe one other person, was not an older mom, you know, doing this, uh, hitting the grind and desperately attempting to educate myself, especially in those higher years, uh, those later years in my degree. And it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that I was a mom and most of the people I was studying alongside of were somewhere about, oh, I don't know, 23 to 27. And I was in my 40s. I think it was also the fact that I just didn't fit into academy at all. You know, all the other ones were going to conferences. Now, I did go to conference. I certainly did. I think in 2006, I went to three that year and two the year before. And this meant getting on an airplane, which I'm terrified of. And it meant presenting because I didn't just go. I presented. But I still didn't fit in because I wasn't able to do as much as everyone else. You know, you can't just fly out to Washington, D.C. and leave all three of your children. (laughs) You just can't do it. So very often I had to hire somebody to stay with them all that time or I just couldn't go. And sometimes it just wasn't conducive to my family for me to even consider it. And then there were the other issues, of course, my faith, which I kept carefully tucked away and no one knew about. I just never really fit. I mean, even my hair. I know it doesn't make any sense, but I live down here in the deep south and there's a certain... Well, there was a certain prescription of femininity that we were expected to follow. And mine is shorn, honey, all the way down. There may be an inch and a half tops of my hair. That's all I have. So I didn't look like anyone else. I didn't have the same family life as anyone else. And I wasn't, well, I wasn't willing to sell my soul to the ivory tower like everyone else. So there were many times I felt like an imposter in a room. But you know what's funny is that I never felt like an imposter when I was standing in front of my own classroom. That was when it was real, live, and present in my face. And it was its own kind of magic, one that I missed very, very much. But there was absolutely no denying that I was supposed to be teaching. There was absolutely no denying it. I felt it. It was all in that synergy between the students and myself and the wonder of it all and and where we would go. I had a um, supervisor once who was doing my yearly review. They called them annual reviews. I called them anal reviews, and that was for a very damn fine reason. And I remember him saying, you know, right after he was really (laughs) inappropriate with me about what I was wearing, the next thing he said was, I wish we could take the magic of your teaching, and bottle it because so many other teachers need it. I already knew that. 
it was only when I was with them, when I was with other teachers, when I was expected to perform in a certain way that I couldn't feel it. It was the lived experience that made the most sense to me. So let's talk about your lived experience. First and foremost, let me assure you, Miranda, this is going to take a very long time. Honey, you may end up feeling imposter syndrome when you're 82. It just gets less and less. And you start to recognize it and you start to be able to tell yourself, this is not real. This is a feeling that I'm getting because I don't trust it. I don't trust myself, but it's not real. It's basically your boogeyman, baby. And you know, like all monsters, if you drag them out from underneath the bed, they look quite a fool in the light and they're not so damn scary anymore. So let's talk about what does make you feel magical. And that seems to be the skating. When I was a little girl, I loved to skate. And the reason is because I remembered flying when I did it. In all of my dreams, I can fly. And I mean actually fly. It's a feeling I know quite well. It comes right back to me when I close my eyes. Skating is a lot like that. So there seems to be some kind of connection to air for you, although I don't know your sign or your birth chart or anything really about you other than you love to do this. But there's something about it, isn't it? And it is electrical, just like flying through the air in a thunderstorm, baby. And you seem to be quite connected to the magic of your environment. Am I right? Is that where you're feeling it? Okay, so if that's true, one of the things I would do, and it's totally up to you, but you asked, and that would be to start researching what is growing there on that regular route. What kind of trees are those? I know you love to feel the wind in your hair, but slow down, find out, research, what are those beautiful living things that you were seeing? You know, in studying the flora and the fauna of where you are, you're going to find magical moments. Now, I'm not sure where you live and if you could possibly grow something I mean, I will tell you that even if it's an apartment, you can put bulbs, for instance, in a pot and take care of them that way. But if you could grow something, because it seems that that is something that really drives that magical feeling up in you, I would suggest you do so. Write to me and I'll, I need to know your zone so that we could talk about native things and things that are easy for you to grow. But Bringing something into where you live, I think that would help you quite a bit. We don't want to divorce our magic away from little places in our lives. And if that's what you want to focus on, I think that's a really great place to start. And maybe another wonderful idea would be for you to create an intent before you put those skates on, strap them on, and go flying down that route. Have an intent. Pick something simple, though, you know, don't overbear yourself. Maybe just today I will feel magic for 10 minutes, you know, and then fly into it. Consciously imagine diving into the air, into magic, into the wonder of it all. It's going to take a long time for you to understand 
that there is no way that you could feel that if you weren't already that. And witches are different. They're way different. I mean, some witches express their magic in food. Some, that well, they can speak to the animals a lot better than the rest of us. Some are really great at healing people. Some can see the future. Some can do all of those things all at the same time. Magic is affecting change. You already are capable of that. You are not outside of that. You don't need to be christened or initiated or any of those things to accept that you are already this magical beating heart. And by the way, y'all, Miranda, you too, but in general, y'all, that means all, you can self-initiate. Did you know that? Did you know that you could take yourself to a pretty little tree out in the middle of nowhere and design your own ritual and dedicate yourself to this life? You do not have to have somebody standing over you. You do not have to jump through extra hoops or be approved. You can do it yourself. After all, if witches don't have autonomy, then what's the point? Am I right? So consider that. I think maybe, Miranda, it'd be very healthy for you to do a little self-initiation ritual into the world of magic. You know, I had a friend years and years ago, and she had a particular goddess that she just resonated with. And, you know, I've talked about how I feel about that. I don't know if I'm right. It's just how I feel about that, that the Great Mother comes to us in different forms. And, you know, some people need to see a male entity, and some people need to see something a little bit more amalgus. But I had this friend who took herself out in the woods and She took a lavender shower before she went. Isn't that neat? She hung lavender over her shower head. And I know it's really hard, especially for some of us who are working a lot of jobs, but she took the whole day to herself. She ate a really nice little light but sustaining meal, had a cleansing tea, put on her prettiest little old dress, and took herself out to the woods with a bit of an afghan and a white candle. And I think there was a little bit of honey that she wanted to leave out there as a sacrifice. And the way she described it to me, I dare not go further because it was too personal. I could go about that far and we got a halt. She just dedicated herself to the magic of the trees and her mother goddess and a life that was going to be curious and wondrous and always striving to grow. She did it all on her own. I find that almost more powerful and more meaningful than some of the initiations that I've done for students or that have even been done for me. Maybe that's what you need, honey. And maybe on that day, you should skate there (laughs) and let the wind fly through you. Anyway, I'm just tickled to hear from you. I can't believe I have somebody over in Europe listening to me. I'm honored. Let me know how it goes. Let me know if you decide to self-initiate because it's a powerful moment for you. You are magic. You need to tell yourself that a lot more. And then I've got my beloved Noah. Noah and I have known each other quite a bit, over the airwaves anyway. And I've helped him before. And at this point... 
something else has happened. And Noah wrote back into me. And this is Noah's letter. Hey, Seba, it's me, Noah, again. I've written to you about my mother and our relationship a few months back, and I can say things in that area have improved. But as I say, shit happens. I'll cut right to it. My dad died. It was very sudden and unexpected. The man was only 51. I can obviously say I'm dealing with grief, and so is my family. But now more than ever, I'm struggling with divinity and faith. I had recently wandered back down the road of studying the Bible. Hell, I was even praying to Jesus, not Yahweh yet. I was really keeping faith towards him and all the other gods and goddesses present in my life. But now that this death has happened, and I prayed so hard not to occur, I'm struggling in not only religious faith, but faith in my magic. What do you do when your faith wavers? Have you ever gotten any signs telling you to stay on your path or to stray away? I know you haven't asked for emails in a little bit, but you and your podcast have kept me afloat for a few years now, and your wisdom reminds me of what my grandma would tell me. I hope y'all on your side of the South are doing well. Honey, can I tell you that it's just one of those cases where the old witch and the young one if that's what you still call yourself, <laughs> have so much in common. Mm-hmm. I know I've talked about it before, and I hate to bring something back up that other folks may be tired of hearing, but here it is. My dad died unexpectedly when he was 52, and he was only 13 years older than me. Now, he was my stepdad, but he was also my dad. I know you know what I'm talking about. It was so unexpected, and what is really shocking about this email that I just got from you is it was 20 years ago today upon this recording. You know, I woke up this morning and I told myself I wasn't going to cry about it today (laughs) because, you know, witches are also humans, and we have, I think, silly little ideas about what it means to be strong, but sometimes crying about it, well... Sometimes that is being strong. I had my little moment of wavering in my faith. Now, there's not been a time on this earth that I reckon I've ever wondered whether or not the Christian path was for me. However, it could be for you. And I don't think there's necessarily a need for you to walk away from that if it's giving you any kind of solace, honey. Any at all. That all being stated, let's walk away from the strict confines of religion for five seconds and talk about the loss of dad. Because, honey, that traverses everything. I had a student, I'll just call him L, a long time ago who was Muslim. He was from Egypt, and we stayed friends. I was one of his very few, I guess, uh, American friends. He was the kindest, oh, the sweetest big old bear of a man that he grew into anyway when he was in my class. He was a kid, and his daddy died the other day. And I saw it, and I didn't understand the language he was talking in on Facebook. I tried the little translation thingy, and doesn't really help. You don't catch uh, the nuances. But what I did catch was the well of grief, the longing, that kind of cleaving, honey. Well, it takes all of your strength sometimes regardless of your religion or where you're standing in your faith. When it happened to me, 
We had just been a few weeks before at his house. Uh, I was going to school. I was going to graduate school, and I had three children. And every single break I had, we drove down there. I didn't date. I didn't do anything else. I dedicated my whole life to going to school, my friends, and my children, and my family. And um, July 4th was his favorite holiday. I don't know if it still would be. He was a Democrat. (laughs) But we went on down there, and I remember he did little sparklers for my children out back and cut the crust off of their sandwiches even though he hated doing that sort of thing. It was the last time I was ever going to see him. Part of me knew it. You know, you look back and you know, but I think that there's some kind of universal um, anesthetic (laughs) that comes upon you and it helps you get through those moments and makes you keep your feet moving. Otherwise, I would have never left. And it wouldn't have stopped what happened because it was an aneurysm. He was young, he was full of life, he was planting a flower for my mother when it all went down. I was at a local gym. I need to go back to one, y'all. I'm getting out of shape in my old age. But I was at a gym, and I was running on a treadmill. And I know that some of y'all are going to think it's cheesy, but there was a song. Ready for the cheese? Everybody roll your eyes. And it was by train, Drops of Jupiter. I'd never heard it before, and it started playing over the speakers in the gym. And somewhere in the middle of that second stanza, I felt this unbelievable grief well up in my chest. Now, I'm pretty sensitive to a very beautifully written song, but it it felt foreboding. And about that moment, someone over the loudspeaker asked me and my government name to come to the front desk. Uh, let's skip ahead so I don't end up in tears. And um, I drove all night and got there and um, didn't get to say goodbye. I'll leave it at that. I was so busy holding my mother up. Oh, my God. Every vein in my body and in my heart and all of my energy went to keeping her afloat for about a year and a half, maybe two. So much so that I barely had time to read to my children at night anymore. I'd be in the middle of trying to do so and put them to bed and she would call and be crying and had no one else to talk to. And I was the only one who would stay on that telephone for her. At the cost of my schoolwork and time with my babies, I'd have to lay the phone down on the floor while I finished reading to my children so she didn't feel alone. Um... Physically, I held in the grief so hard and for so long, and I don't know how to say this over an airwave, how to say this over a podcast, oh well, fuck it, Uh, my colon stopped working. It stayed frozen actually for 10 years after I had to lean on milk and magnesia. I'm not kidding. My whole body held in that grief. I had to. I had to. Or I believed in my heart she wouldn't make it. My mother wouldn't make it. She at least told me that. I try very hard not to resent that, but the resentment does rise in my chest, sort of like bile, you know. But no Tums is going to help me with that. I lost a lot of time taking care of her when nobody else would, only to be thrown away when it was convenient. So I remember, though, I remember, listen carefully to me, Noah. 
I remember going back home after the funeral, and I remember sitting in the backyard and asking for a sign, any sign. Oh, just any sign, please. I need a sign. And for me, that was my spirituality in crisis. I always believed that the soul either goes on or it stays to comfort folks until it can. Sometimes get stuck, but that's probably not in the case of you or my father's. I just knew that there was something else and I needed it. And I got my answer. Little feather in the night sky, totally late at night. No trees over me at all. So very unlikely that a bird was flying overhead in that moment. Anyway, it just wound down in a little helicopter until it landed on my lap. And I could feel him there. But do you know that even I doubted that? And for a long time, I didn't let myself feel very much. So what did I do? Well, if we could agree on anything, Noah, I would ask for you to consider whether or not you believe in the possibility of a soul. Because if you can, if you can agree that there is such an ethereal, untouchable, unprovable, abiding soul in a human, and I would argue with you and trees and dogs, but we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> I'm an old witch. If you can believe, and here, if you can't try this, I want you to close your eyes, Noah, wherever you're sitting right now. Okay? Forget there's an audience. Listen to the sound of my voice. Close your eyes. Now, I want you to envision your dad's spirit. So not your dad's hair, not his fingers, not even his laugh. What does his spirit look like? What is that beating, thumping, unprovable thing that was your dad? Can you find it? That essence? Because if you can, and if you believe that that was real, and that it wasn't all just electrodes firing, that this was a soul, a beautiful, loving, vibrant soul. That's magic, baby. It's still there. Regardless of what your spirituality may be, it's still there. And it's going to take a really long time for you to trust that again. The day that I did, uh, well, (laughs) you know, sometimes as a podcaster, you wonder if somebody going to judge you. (laughs) But if y'all gonna do that, I reckon, go on. I promise to be authentic. I promise to be who I was, so you might as well know the truth. My dad was a pack-a-day Winston-smoking New Jersey cop. Fell in love with my southern mama, and the rest is all history. He used to tell me smoking wasn't gonna kill him. I know now that's because, well, his body had another idea. If he hadn't had that aneurysm, I'm sure smoking would have. However, there's no need in digging around that old point anymore, is there? So one night, I pulled my secret little stash that I had in the top of my closet. Things nobody knew I had. The day he fell, he wasn't quite dead yet, but his brain was. The day he fell, 
holding that spade and planting that flower. His cigarettes fell out of his pocket. His lighter fell out of his pocket. His hat fell off of his head. And these things were all still laying on the ground when I got there in the middle of the night. Nobody had picked them up. But I did. And on the night that I finally decided, I think, that it was time to feel the grief. And see, you know, I talked about my colon not working. I'll tell y'all what, grief can constipate your soul too. (laughs) Sorry to be real about it, but it can. It can keep you from feeling. And sometimes all that grief can pile up so high, you're afraid if you start feeling it, well, you'll just bleed out right there on the ground. Hemorrhage away everything about you. I decided it was worth a shot. So I played that silly little old song from Train. I still contend it's a damn fine one. (laughs) And I pulled that pack of Winstons out. And I lit one. Took a deep drag and then put it down on the porch in front of me on a rock. And I cracked open one of his favorite beers, one I would never want to drink. Oh my God, y'all. It was a natty light. I'm so sorry. And I took a swig and put it down beside it. And I said, Dad, I used his name. I'm going to let myself feel this now. If you're still here, could you let me know it so I don't feel so alone? And all of a sudden, that cigarette lit up. I kid you not. Believe me or don't. Believe me or don't. It lit up as if somebody were dragging on it. And smoke came out the other end. Whether or not that could be explained away, I felt him everywhere. He was around me. He was in me. The past and where I was right then were all one thing. And I finally let myself, I let myself break. Because I knew there was no way in the world that he'd let me stay that way. And you know what, y'all? That torrent of grief. It took a long time to wade all the way through, but in it there was also laughter. There was also joy because I could feel him again. Very lucky he hadn't moved on yet. I reckon he was waiting on me. (laughs) I do think he has moved on now. I don't feel him that way anymore. You know, he had given me so much, Noah. The only gift I could give back was to let him go. When I did, I found myself again. I found my magic again because it wasn't my turn. I guess I took the long way around the mulberry bush there. As always, I will suggest, and you know I've done it before, honey bunny, therapy. If you can afford it, if you can find a way, they are trained to deal with this. Specifically, a grief therapist would be wonderful. But I don't think you've lost your spirituality. I just think you're shoved full of grief, honey. And while I reckon some witches out there might argue with me, this does not seem to be the time for you to push and shove yourself into any boxes. Whatever spirituality is bringing you peace, whatever feels healing to you, hell, if it all does, grab it. Don't worry. You need it where you can find it. What matters most is that, well, that you have your own little moment and that you find your path again, wherever it may be. But for crying out loud, take your time. Your soul has to heal. You'll know the right way, honey. 
One day you'll look back and it'll all be really clear. But for right now, you see a path that looks good and comforting and has sparkly lights. Well, I mean, if it feels good, go. And don't worry. Anyone that would condemn you on that, well, they're not thinking about what's best for you. Love you, Noah. Do not give up on yourself. It is way too early for that nonsense. Okay? All right, now write to me again if you need a little extra loving on. I'll help you the best I can. You know, my daddy left a God-shaped hole in my life. He really did. And so when I was ready, when some of the tears subsided, that's exactly what I filled it with. Just so happens it was a goddess. All right, y'all. I reckon what I keep reading in my inbox is folks being really hard on themselves. And and I recognize that because I resemble that. We got to leave room for the magic. We've got to leave room for that space for something to happen in for us to grow in. And got to stop comparing ourselves to other people and how they do it and when they do it and how recognized they are for doing it. None of that really fucking matters, y'all. What matters What will always matter is, did you feel it? Have you ever felt it? And if so, honey, run at it. Run. Life is so short. Run at magic. However it manifests. Okay, I have some shout outs to do. And some of these sometimes blur together for me, but I'm pretty sure these are the ones I need to send out all my love and gratitude to. And those are Paige, Ashley, and Tinsley. I love y'all. Thank you for joining Patreon. I hope you're having fun. We're doing a lot of extra content over there and some of that are just back of the scenes kind of stuff and some of it is uh, Taryn and myself arguing (laughs) but in the most delightful way about living in life and also just enjoying each other. Our Facebook has become like a little safe haven for us. We light a candle once a week together. So if you'd like to join us or like to check us out, please check out my Patreon. And to the man who decided to be a father to a 13-year-old girl who wanted nothing but to rebel against every moment, I want to thank you. Thank you for introducing me to Bruce Springsteen. Thank you for waking me up in the middle of the night to see what a banana spider looks like glistening in the moon, man. I was so pissed about that, and I'd give anything for that to happen again. And may all of us anywhere who have lost anybody hold them deep in our heart. Because in those memories, you know, time is just a concept, baby. You can still be there. Blessed be y'all. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.